This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good morning. It is Friday, May 7th. You are listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Lance Glenn. Back to host another episode as Trey is out. I hope everyone has had an enjoyable week and is looking forward to the weekend. As you guys know, we are attempting to hit every Power 5 school and a few group of five schools this offseason here on the College Football Daily. We are almost halfway there to our goal. And in case you missed your favorite team, don't worry. We have them all on Spotify for you. Just go to Spotify, search for the playlist across the country with the College Football Daily and find every single team preview episode we have done so far. I am very excited to continue climbing to our goal as we are joined by Steve Bartle of 24-7 Sports, UteZone.com, covering Utah football and recruiting. Steve, thanks so much for coming on and giving me some time today. Thanks so much for uh, for having me on, Lance. It's, you know, I, I always listen to the football daily. And so, you know, it's it's kind of cool for me to uh, to have the opportunity to be on the show now. So definitely thankful that you reached out. And, and uh, you know, I'm just excited to to chat a little bit. Yeah, well, I think the comment saying is, what is it? Long time, long time listener, at least in radio, long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that definitely applies here. <laughs> yeah. So we're glad to have you on. So with Utah, look, the Utes went three and two last season in what was obviously a very strange year for every conference, but very much so obviously for the Pac-12. A lot of they will play, they won't play, then they will play. Utah, they had, I think, three games in total canceled, including the first two. They started off 0-2 with losses to USC and Washington, but then ran off three straight wins to finish the year. Look, Kyle Whittingham has been at the helm since 2005. So if you want any coach to kind of steer you through everything that's gone on, it's obviously someone like him. But what, if anything, could he... Could the staff, even the fans, take away from last season? Is it like it is for most teams, kind of a, I guess, a throwaway year where it's hard to evaluate because there was just nothing normal about it and there just weren't many games to, I guess, judge the players on? You know, that's such an interesting question. And I, I think there's so many layers to to last season, even though it was a condensed and shortened season. You know, there's there's a lot of ways to look at last year, uh, specifically for Utah. And, and I think it starts on the defensive side of the ball where, you know, Utah's coming off a 2019 season, which saw seven players drafted uh, in that ensuing NFL draft last year. I believe six of them came from that defensive side of the ball. And then they had multiple guys signed as undrafted free agents. There was a lot of talent, a lot of ability, a lot of experience lost on that defensive side of the ball for, for a lot of folks, a lot of local and, you know, national media that, that cover, you know, the Pac-12. And you look at what Utah lost last year on the defensive side, and you're thinking that there's going to be just a lot of growing pains, a lot of struggles, and, and a lot of, you know, just kind of working through it. But that was not the case at all. They had to kind of change some things on the defensive side of the ball. But Utah, again, proved to be one of the top defenses in the Pac-12, led by Devin Lloyd who was, you know, uh, an all-conference performer. He'll be, you know, one of the top contenders for the uh, the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year this year. Mika Tafua at defensive end 
And then you had guys like Vontae Davis at free safety emerge. He's been in the program a couple of years now. And that was that was really, really helpful and key to Utah's defensive success was his emergence, you know, playing that free safety position, which is so crucial in Utah's, you know, four, two, five scheme. So, you know, all in all, the defensive side looked really good. Utah's offensive line run game looked really good. Obviously, a, a big factor in the in the run game success was true freshman Ty Jordan, who was the Pac-12 freshman of the year. Unfortunately, you know, he uh, he lost his life in a tragic event around Christmas. And so he is no longer, you know, obviously here with us anymore. And, and that's kind of been a, a thing that the, the program has had to uh, had to work through and, and kind of get through over the last couple of weeks. And there's going to be a lot of memorializing him uh, this year and, and beyond. But uh, Utah did really well to address, you know, his, uh, the loss of Ty Jordan through the transfer portal with TJ Pledger, a, a transfer from Oklahoma, Chris Curry, another running back from LSU. So the run game, you know, was, was what it was. The passing game had some struggles. And I think that's kind of where Utah really learned uh, a lot about themselves on the offensive side of the ball is how much better they need to be in the passing game. And they took some some big time measures to ensure that they <laughs> will, in fact, be better in that area of the game. So, you know, obviously with everything going on, the COVID stuff, the COVID protocols uh, with the loss of games, Utah only played five games, which, you know, there's not a lot to, to judge on. You still, I think Utah learned a lot about themselves as a program, and, and they took steps since the end of the season to ensure that they kind of shore up some some weaknesses while you know bringing back a lot of players on the defense side of the ball, which you know looks to be a really strong suit for for Utah football. So, look, Utah certainly has its fair share of storylines to watch as the offseason progresses, right? Maybe the biggest of them all is the quarterback battle. A few options they could go with, but we talked prior to the podcast and you mentioned how it's really a two-man race between Cameron Rising, the starter from last year that got hurt early and missed most of the season, and Baylor transfer Charlie Brewer. Look, Rising didn't play this spring, but Kyle Whittingham did say that a decision won't be made until the fall when he you know, should be back and should be cleared to go. So just generally, what did you see from Charlie Brewer this spring that stood out? And what's your prognosis on the Utah QB situation this season? You know, with some of the COVID protocols, we didn't get a a chance to really see him operate a lot outside of the spring game. However, Kyle Whittingham, you know, made it clear that, you know, he's a guy that has come into the program and has just he's done a lot of the little things that you just kind of take for granted. And, you know, he's worked really hard since he got here in January to, you know, prove that he's going to be a capable quarterback for Utah if he does indeed win the job. You know, ever since he got here, he's been in the playbook studying. He's been spending a lot of time, as much time as possible with offensive coordinator Andy Ludwig. And, you know, according to reports, according to you know sources, those two, Brewer and Ludwig, have really kind of meshed well. And, and that's, you know, that relationship between an offensive coordinator and quarterback is you know, a lot of a lot of times you, t- you kind of take it for granted. And so those two have really clicked, which, you know, is encouraging. And so, you know, Brewers, he's done a good job throughout spring. He did a good job throughout spring of, you know, taking care of the ball, making good decisions, but being accurate and taking chances down the field when they're there. And I think that's kind of the thing that, that Utah is, is looking for. You know, they're, they're always going to rely on their defense. They're always going to rely on the run game. They need a quarterback that is smart, 
that is accurate, that makes good decisions. And Brewer apparently fits the bill, you know, in all three of those of those uh, areas. So, you know, Brewer's done a good job really coming into this. Obviously, he has a ton of experience coming from Baylor as a four-year starter. You know, 9,700 yards to his name led Baylor to really good season in 2019. So, you know, he's been through this before where he's got a good team around him. And, you know, he's just kind of steered the ship. And, and that's, you know, really when you look at this Utah team, that's really what they need at the quarterback position more than anything is just a guy that will keep him on track, will keep him on pace keep them on schedule. And, you know, I think, you know, that's what you're looking at with, with Brewer talking about Cameron rising. There is a ton of optimism about rising about his game. He hasn't, you know, had the opportunity to, to really showcase his ability just because of the injury having to sit out a year due to the transfer, but there's still a ton of excitement about rising and and his potential. And so, you know, those two are going to battle it out uh, in fall camp. And, you know, it should be a, a pretty epic battle for uh, for that starting job. Staying on offense, look, Utah, they moved on from Guy Holiday as receivers coach and brought in an up-and-coming coach and former Utah grad assistant, in fact, in Chad Bumfus, to lead that group. Where do the receivers stand post-spring practice? Is there enough there right now for the Utes? Or do Coach Whittingham, Coach Bumfus, and the staff need to go out, hit the portal, and bring in some more talent at that position for this year? Yeah, that's a great question and something a lot of Utah fans, you know, have been asking as well. And Whittingham hasn't, you know, hasn't been shy to talk about the need to to address and bolster the wide receiver position this spring. They took some hits uh, with the transfer of Brian Thompson and Samson Nakua. Both of those players uh, have a lot of ex- experience that they take with them as they leave the program and go elsewhere. And so Utah, you know, they're looking for depth. And, and guys that can come in and, and be playmakers uh, on the outside specifically. They've got proven commodities in Britton Covey and Jalen Dixon, who returns after sitting out last year. But those are guys that are utilized more in the slot and on the inside. So I think Utah, you know, they've got some options on the outside, but I think that they're looking to, you know, add a piece or two, maybe three, you know, guys that can come in, can provide some playmaking. And, and I think more important than, than their ability is just, their experience level. And I think that's something that Utah is really interested in because they do have a lot of young players in, in that wide receiver group. And, you know, that's specifically talking about those young players. That's a big reason why Chad Bumfist was, was brought back to Utah to replace Guy Holiday, just because Whittingham talked about his ability to teach and coach and develop players and how optimistic they are that he's really going to help this young group of receivers over their careers. However, I think, and we're going to get more into this, I think there are really high goals, some lofty goals, some high expectations. And, you know, if let's say, you know, you're, you're expecting to challenge for a conference championship, you know, some of these young guys maybe aren't ready for, for the big lights, the bright lights. And so you're just, I think Utah's very interested in, in landing a player that's kind of been through it. And I think that's going to be a thing. So I definitely expect Utah to to be aggressive in the transfer portal, looking for guys to come in to provide some added playmaking to that wide receiver position. They want to improve the passing game. They know they have to. And, and I think that's going to, to be a big part of it. They do have guys in that room and Solomon Enos, 
Devon Vele, who who kind of emerged, but he's you know he's a former walk-on that really has just impressed since the moment he got on campus. And I already mentioned Covey and Dixon. Those are really four guys that Utah is going to rely on heavily this fall, regardless of what they do in the transfer portal. But I think adding a guy or two to that group, to that mix, where you can rely on them as playmakers, rely on them for leadership, I think that's what what Whittingham and Bumpfist and the offensive staff are, are looking for this offseason. So I want to switch it over to the defense now. All Pac-12 first-team linebacker Devin Lloyd, he's coming back. All-conference honorable mention, Nephi Sewell, he's also coming back. And I'm sure that last name rings a bell to a lot of our listeners unfamiliar mm-hmm. with Utah, as his brother Penny Sewell was just taken seventh overall by the Detroit Lions. Vontae Davis, someone else you mentioned, he decided to come back and use his extra year of eligibility. The list continues for what the Utes bring back on defense. This was a unit last year that was third in the conference in scoring defense, first in rushing defense, second in total defense. With all the returning pieces, what is the potential of this defense you know how good could it be in 2021 tell you what lance this defense could be really really good you talk about the guys the known commodities you know in Vontae davis and devin lloyd and nephi sewell and and they've got a lot of depth a lot of up-and-coming young talent you go back to that 2020 class you know it was headlined by four guys you know clark phillips van fillinger xavier carlton those are three guys that uh, Utah is going to to rely on, and they expect a, a lot of progress to be made from year one in the program to year two. You know, there's proven commodities, but there's a lot of young talent that they're developing. And, you know, this defense has the potential to be really, really good. You know, we had the opportunity to, to talk to Whittingham throughout camp, and it sounds as though, you know, they're very comfortable, you know, along that defensive line with the amount of depth that they have. I think Whittingham mentioned they have seven or eight guys that they feel could contribute, be rotational players, potentially start in that mix. Wow. And yeah, that's it's just uh, an absurd amount of riches at defensive tackle. Utah's always been good, you know, in, in the trenches, but that's that's just that's incredible. So, and then, you know, defensive end, they've got Mika Tafua returning who emerged as as a real presence at defensive end. We've got Van Fillinger, Xavier Carlton as I mentioned, guys that they expect to take a big step forward in in their game. The key to all of this is going to be in the secondary. Utah had a young group uh, that replaced a really experienced and really talented group from 2019. They did some good things last year. They had to kind of play it conservative, changing up their scheme, playing more zone, playing you know some soft zone and that kind of stuff. They want to be more aggressive. They want to get back to who they are as a, as a program, and that's you know press man coverage. And so a lot of you know the success is going to be dependent upon the progress that the secondary makes. And so we're talking about guys like I mentioned, Clark Phillips, JT Broaden, and, and Malone Mataele are, are three guys that will start in the secondary for Utah. And then a couple a couple names I already mentioned, Vontae Davis, but you know look for Cole Bishop, a true freshman out of Georgia, to come in and potentially earn the starting the starting job at, at, at strong safety for Utah. Another guy from the previous classes, Kamoi Latu, who uh, they expect a lot of good things from as well. So, you know, there's a lot of talent, a lot of potential and a lot of experience coming back for Utah. They're going to be strong against the run. I think the, the hope this season is that they'll be able to generate more pressure with their front four and do some, some, some things with Devin Lloyd and Nephi Sewell at, at linebacker. 
They've got some depth at linebacker as well. The expectations are really high for this group. This group is going to lead the way for Utah and you know, they expect to be one of uh, the top defenses, not only in the conference, but, but in the country, that's their goal this season. They want to be one of the best in the country. Yeah, definitely a defense built inside out from defensive line all the way out to the secondary from what you're saying. And, you know, I think we talked about some returning pieces on defense. I think all these guys coming back just points to, at least for me, an even greater narrative that the Utes have not only on defense, but on offense as well. You know, experience coming back, as I've said before, in general, some are super seniors. Some decided to forego draft eligibility for one more year. Do you think with the way last season went right, the three game winning streak to end the year, losing by three to Washington in a game where Utah was up 21, nothing, you know, their early season loss to USC. Is this a case of the players looking at 2021 and saying to themselves, look, if we run it back one more time, not only can we be better than last year, but hey, we can win the Pac-12 conference. That is definitely the talk. And, you know, you mentioned some of the guys returning that passed on, you know, their draft eligibility this year. Devin Lloyd, Brent Keithy, Nick Ford were three guys that had uh, the opportunity to enter the draft this year and likely would have been third, fourth round picks. They all elected to come back this season for that exact reason. They want a chance to to run it back, to to win a championship. That's the goal. That's the mentality for those players and for the rest of the team. They feel that they have everything they need to challenge, you know, for Pac-12 supremacy to not only win the South Division, but to win a Pac-12 championship. So, you know, the expectations are that they're going to compete at a very high level. And the goal is to to make it to the Pac-12 championship, to get back to the Pac-12 championship and to win it. They, you know, they want to win a ring while they're here. You know, that's, that's what all of these players have talked about. No, they want, they want that chance to, to get a championship at Utah. They want to get a championship for Kyle Whittingham. So that's, that's the entire focus. And as these guys, there's only a, a handful of super seniors. Most of these guys are juniors. And so, you know, they'll, they'll be entering their fourth years in the program. And so this is, this will be it for a lot of them. They want to go out on top and, and they feel like they've got everything they need in order to do that. So Steve, last one from me. Look, we obviously just talked about the possibility of winning the Pac-12, but what are fan expectations this year? And, and does that differ from what you believe fan expectations should be in 2021? You know, are fans thinking, let's say, hypothetically, eight to nine wins while you're thinking Pac-12 title game, you know, is it vice versa? What's the vibe you're getting from the fan base and where does that match up with your opinion? The Utah fans are... Are, are, you know, I think they're still a little hurt uh, over the 2019 season, which, you know, saw Utah uh, rise as high as I think number five, number six in the country, you know, in the final week of of that 2019 season, only to, you know, let a, a an opportunity at the college football playoff slip away from them in the Pac-12 championship game. Uh, and so, you know, I think fans are, are still a little, little hurt, a little cautious when it comes to their optimism this season. But, you know, the more and more that has come out about this team, there's a great deal of cautious optimism among the fan base. I think most expect this team to win nine games. That double-digit number of 10 wins is something that I think is is certainly obtainable. But I, I think most fans expect Utah to to contend and to potentially make it to the Pac-12 championship game. 
but I, I would I would describe the fan base as cautiously optimistic <laughs> this season. Yeah, no, and and look, you you mentioned the the Pac-12 title game a couple of years ago. You know, can't blame them. I can't blame yeah. them. And and you know, yeah. I was even looking at at uh obviously last season. You know, uh, I'm sure that Washington game. You know, you're up 21 nothing at the end of the first half. I'm sure that doesn't sit well with a lot of Ute fans either. <laughs> no, no, definitely, definitely not. You let that one slip away. And and again, it comes back. I think a lot of this year's success will do will be dependent upon the quarterback play. And I think Utah did a tremendous job of, of addressing just the talent in the room, uh, bringing in Charlie Brewer, bringing in Peter Costelli, a four-star kid, you know, in last year's recruiting cycle, and Jaquinda Jackson, who was a uh, top three player at his as a dual threat quarterback signed with Texas he transferred to Utah so you know Utah took the steps they feel they needed to to take to kind of bolster that quarterback room um, and I think that's really where this season is going to be determined and uh, you know however good the quarterbacks play this year I think will will kind of determine just how good this season could be I think you go back to last year, that's really where Utah struggled was in the passing game and just being able to complete what should be, you know, routine passes were a bit of a struggle last year. So I think, you know, fans are, are you know, were impacted by that as well. Uh, and so I think, you know, they're very curious. They're, they, they've loved what they've heard about the quarterbacks, you know, in spring camp. Uh, and so, again, you know, just cautiously optimistic about it all. You can follow him on Twitter at sbartle247. Steve, thanks so much for coming on and giving me some time today. I really appreciate it. Lance, thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Make sure to rate, review, and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. A new episode every single day. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Lance Glenn. I hope everyone has a great weekend. We'll be back on Monday for the next edition of the College Football Daily. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.